There is hope for us yet We are young, we are aware I am Laura McCowan And I am Holly Whitaker This is Home Podcast Hello Laura McCowan Hey Holly Whitaker I'm good. I am good. I'm about to go on a run. It's raining outside. We just had an amazing conversation with Lisa Smith. And yeah, I'm good. And you're in, um, you look like Princess Leia. I'm looking like Princess Leia. Yeah, I'm doing good. I did, I, um, did my Italian lessons. I did my, I'm on day number two of May Cause Miracles. I did a Kundalini Kriya and I am about to have a group call with uh, some of my peeps from my school. So, so good. Yeah. It's a beautiful Sunday. So, um, so yeah. So this yeah. is our 47th episode. Can we just say what? Wow. What? What? And um, we're coming up on our 50th episode, and we talked about that this morning, and that's incredibly exciting. Um, it is exciting. I know, because we just, like, I still, like, I, I was listening, there's a song I was I was telling you, like, every, because like, my life changes so fast, every two weeks has a, a theme song. Um, yeah, and, right. like, <laughs> instead of the summer has a theme song every two weeks. Um and it came on, and it just was, um, it was a Radiation City song. Remember uh, when I put together a playlist for you, and I was like, here, listen to them, and check some of these out? And um, one of the songs, like, reminds me of that period when we were creating this, and it feels like, does it feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Isn't that funny? Yeah, it does. And it, it is a lifetime ago. <laughs> I know, We I live know. many lives every week. It's true. It's true. Yeah. This life is fast. Um, but it's just, um, yeah, I've, I've been feeling a little sentimental about all that's happened in the last year. Um, so. I hear you. I know. Especially, I mean, and because of this, like this is, this has been a catalyst of both of our lives for so much good. And, um, and so, yeah. I know. I feel you. I yeah. do. So, um, we are so, talking with you. Why don't yeah. you intro it? Okay, so we're talking about uh, Lisa Smith. She was, when this airs on Wednesday, she her book, her first book, uh, Girl Walks Out of a Bar, it's a memoir, will come out. It will be out and available in uh, stores and online um, on Amazon and all those good places. She is a lawyer who... Um, is, lives in New York, New York City, and she. This is a memoir about her um, addiction and recovery story, uh, specifically being a woman, a professional woman, woman who was living this um, really big uh, career life and uh, had to come to terms with the fact that she was drinking and uh, using cocaine daily to just keep the thing going. Uh, it's a great book. It's um, I don't think there's anything out there that's quite like it that I've read um, in terms of uh, recovery or, you know, addiction memoirs. And she was just delightful and wonderful to talk to. And she's doing uh, kind of great things to try to help women in specifically in the legal world, legal community, um, get help around this. And yeah, that was it. It was a great conversation. I'm so excited to ha- that her book is out there. Yeah, um, it's just like another 
you know, woman, another story of recovery, um, and another voice, um, that we, that we need. And she's, she is great. And I hope, you know, I feel like she's one of those people that, um, is going to just continue to do a lot more. Yeah, I agree. I, there's nothing that I, I could add. I, I loved it for its uniqueness just because, um, because that's my story, you know? I mean, yeah. um, just that, that just doing that stuff to keep the thing going, um, yep. until you can no longer do the stuff to keep the thing going. And, um, so I do yep. hope that it helps a lot of women that are out there, um, and all of you that are out there, not just women. I mean, this is a man's story as well, but I, um, yeah, I really do. I think, I think she's going to do a lot of really good. She's already doing a lot of really good and I'm excited. I love this interview. So me too. Here it is. There you go. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Are, you for coming. are you still in New York? Yes. Awesome. How is the weather in New York today? Why do I always ask about the damn weather? Anyway, how is it? <laughs> it's raining. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah it's raining oh. in Boston, too. Oh. It's overcast in L.A. But so we're all I, kind of under the clouds. Yeah. 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 I take L.A., though. <gasps> oh, I'll give you L.A. I'll take New York. <laughs> <laughs> I will make that trade. Awesome. So, um, so how are you? I'm good. I'm good. good. I'm nervous. Oh, for oh. this? I get, well, you know, this is also new to me that I'm yeah. nervous about this. I'm nervous about uh, the book coming out. Yeah, all right. This. Right. So, well, that's a big exciting. deal. I mean, the book comes out when this airs, it will have come out yesterday. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, yeah, yeah that's a huge deal. Huge Congratulations. Deal. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Now, do you think when it comes out, like, it, are you're pretty out with your story at this point? We've written articles. Yes. Okay, so it's not necessarily going to be like this huge bomb dropped on on on. No, okay. no. I think okay. the big bomb was really when I found out it was going to be published. That was when I started <laughs> having to tell the people that I, you know, had continued to keep it from at work. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody in my personal life knew, but. Um, you know, I had been sort of selective in the office. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And we that, want to talk about that. Yeah, I'm all, sure. that's exactly what we want to talk about. So I think, um, Laura, do you mind if I go first? No, go ahead. Okay. So I, I'm i really drawn to, and I, I talked to you about this in email, I'm really drawn to the part of, of your story and also the part of your cause, which is drawing attention to this, um, this archetypal professional woman who is um, incredibly successful and driven and has it all, in quotes, um, <laughs> and then keeps it all up on the back end with, with a lot of things. And, you know, for you, you open the book and you're talking about what um that morning looked like when you went into um detox and yes you're 38 years old and you're a successful lawyer and you spend all weekend working and you uh wake up and you go and you pour a glass of wine into a dirty glass and then you light a cigarette and then you um you do a couple of bumps of cocaine and then you get in the shower and you um do this routine of brushing your teeth a specific number of times and chewing gum and then um you just can't do it anymore and and so yes. 
I, I want to talk about that because, because um, I mean, I was, I, I had a similar, not, you know, and we had some different vices and some different time under our belts of doing this, this, you know, routine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a similar, um, I was like, I was highly, I was more, I was getting more and more successful as I was falling more and more apart and yep. doing all this stuff on the back end and really like, you know, to keep it patched together and really leading this double life. And so I'm yes. just wondering if you can kind of talk about how that felt like living that split? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I mean, I think during um, the time that that stuff was going on, everything that got worse, like there were all these things that I said, oh, I'll never, you know, drink in the morning until right. I drink in the morning. Right. You know, I'll never go into the office drunk until I went into the office drunk. And then the same thing with, um, you know, with the drugs. And um a lot of people ask, like, how did you put up that front? How did you do, you know, how, how did it feel to fool everybody? Yeah. Um, but in reality, what it was was just survival. It was just the next thing I had to do. I wasn't thinking about it. Like, wow, the, I'm getting this over on people. I was yeah. just thinking, what do I have to do next? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, it, it wasn't sort of as... I think people sometimes like to think that there was a lot of like thought and scheming and planning into it. (laughs) And when you're at that point where you're just using 24 seven, it's all about just getting to the next drink or getting to the next bump or whatever it is. And it's not about, you know, it's just in this moment, let me not get caught by this person standing in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you had been in that place for years at that point, right? Yeah, you know, the worst of it was really um, the last year was when I was, um, you know, sort of around the clock. And, you know, I hear this a lot from other people, and, and I agree with it. It's It was, in a way, thank God, I got heavily into cocaine because that's what brought me to my knees yeah. at the end. Yeah, a lot of people say that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you just can't keep it up. So um, it was really the last year. But by the end, I mean, I was just so sick um, that that was it was really that morning. The whole idea of, oh, my God, I'm, I'm out of drugs. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to call the dealer. I'm going to have to leave early again. And just the thought of everything just so exhausted me. I, I just couldn't do it. It's yeah. just it's really, really hard work to stay high and drunk all the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then people say, oh, you know, the party had to end sometime. I'm like, I, I don't know what party you were at, but I've been in 10 years of hell. So. Yeah, it wasn't, it hadn't been a party for a long time. Yeah, I think, I think people don't always, don't understand that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I it's, um, there is so much resonance in what you were writing about. And there's just this, like, it's so, to me now, I mean, I think about, you know, what it takes to get me through a day, right? And then I think mm-hmm. about what it was that I was doing back then to keep me getting through a day. And it's just, um, <laughs> I, it's, it's, I mean, and you, so you were, you were, nobody at work ever suspected this, correct? Well, if they did, they didn't say anything to me. Yeah. So I like to think that they didn't. Because, yeah. you know, um, although, you know, who knows? Maybe they did. I mean, people don't know what to do. And a lot of what I've written about, like in the Washington Post op-ed that I did was about, you know, lawyers and addiction and how people don't really know how to handle the situation I know in law firms, which is the only experience I have. But, right. um, you know, for you guys in the corporate world, 
uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's the same. You know, what do you really do? You, you know that person down the hall or you think that person down the hall likely has a problem. What, what exactly do you do about it? Is it my place to say anything? Is well, it? And not just even that, but the behavior is so normalized that it's yeah. a very fine line between problematic, quote unquote, and not. And there's all levels of problematic. Um, and people want to protect their own right to do what they want. And Yeah. Right. No, but you're exactly right, too, Laura. That's such a great point because we're all like I worked at a startup that turned into a much bigger company and we were all going out all night, you know, and like that was like the not part of the culture, like have a party, but you come into work and you get through it. I mean, you drink with these people and there is this like when does it you know, when does it cross that line into problematic? Um, But it's um, yeah, it is. My boss told me after I came out, I came out pretty quickly, like maybe a, um, nine or 10 months in. And he, he was the first on Facebook to like what I wrote. And then he sent me a message and, um, said, I knew, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I yeah. know I, I, a couple of people that I worked with after the fact, I mean, most people said I had no idea cause mm-hmm. it was good, but, but you, you can see these things and you work really closely with people. Um, one of my friends, one of uh, a woman, a contractor I worked with said, I, I was just coming in and seeing your face look worse and worse. And I was like, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for asking what was wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, if somebody had said something to me, I would have denied it and gotten mad at them and just avoided them. Yeah. I didn't want that. I didn't want my boss to tell me that he knew I had a drinking problem. I think that would have been the last thing I wanted to hear. Right. Right. So, so I want everybody to read the book that's listening, but I, but let's talk a little bit through it because I, I want to go through sort of what got like what on that day you you said exhaustion but what you know was there anything else on that day where you just that you you can look back and say that that was happening and that's why I you know, decided that that day I was going to go to detox and then you know I love how you second guess that decision dozens <laughs> of times between the time you know you had your friends come over which I want to talk about your friends by the way because uh-huh. they're so um I don't think I would have had friend had friends that would have done that. Like Mm-mm. they were, they were, you invited them all in and they were drinking wine and talking to you about <laughs> <laughs> yeah. going to detox. And it was all like, Whoa, man, like this is happening. Okay. Okay. But they were amazing and they cleaned your place and yeah. Yeah. Can I qualify one more thing to that question too? Because also you had, you had mentioned before you were expecting just to die by 40. You were basically, you had kind of yeah. already resigned to a fate. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can you add that into answering Laura's question? Sure. I think, um, I think when I, uh, decided that I would be dead by 40, I w- had not foreseen the, um, the way I would physically deteriorate. And that was a lot of what hit me that morning you know, throwing up blood again, not seeing how that could possibly stop. Um, and that day, for whatever reason, it, it just, it felt like a giant anxiety attack in the hallway that I couldn't tell if it was like an anxiety attack, a heart attack, an overdose, what it was. Um, but I really felt like I was going to die, like maybe not right there that morning, but really, you know, see it. Soon. Yeah. Yeah. And something just like snapped and said, I don't want to die. And if I didn't want to die, I knew I had to get help. Yeah. I think. And and also, um, you know, not to to give it away or anything, but the the sort of um, 
just seeds that had been not so not at all subtly planted by Mark. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that came home to roost that morning of all this idea of like, no, no, I know I'm a disaster, but I can get this under control. I'm in charge here. I can take care of this. Look at me. I'm, you know, I haven't lost my job. I just got a big raise of bonus. You know, I can get this thing under control. At some point that just fell away. Yeah. And it was like a clear shot all of a sudden between continuing what I was doing and being dead very soon. Isn't that amazing? Because the day before was probably Oh no. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because it took sort of that confronting having to go out in the world again that morning to do it. The day Mm -hmm. before I got to be in my little hovel with plenty of drugs and plenty of wine. Um, so you know, it didn't seem as uh immediate. I didn't have to go put that face on again. Yeah. It's like the split, the split, the exhaustion of the split. (laughs) existence just took it just oh yeah oh yeah yeah it really is it really I didn't see how I was going to get through it that day are you still friends with those with those friends yes (laughs) in fact I had them read um you know read as I was writing uh to make sure I was you know capturing what happened the right way yeah or as they remembered it that's amazing, Holly, right? Like, oh, I know. I was just like, well, I, first of all, the thing that I thought was most amazing about that is I would have never let anybody I knew into my space. Like, I, I had that same apartment, you know? Like, maybe possibly worse. I doubt it. I don't know. Who knows? But I had this, like, idea of, like, she let people, like, I would never have, I wanted to do, I was so private about um, my recovery at first. You know, I was talking about some parts of it, but, like, the the depth of it, I was I didn't want it. I wanted to, I wanted it to go away and sweep it under the rug. I never wanted anybody I knew to see it. So how did you let them? I mean, how? <laughs> I think, you know, when I, when I knew I was going to be going for, uh, five days, I knew then that I had to tell my family and I had to tell my friends, um, because I would never disappear for five days and yeah. I was not yeah. going to have access to, a phone. I wasn't certainly wasn't going to have Mark call them up and say that I was uh, I was in detox. Um, I, uh, it, I I had to uh, tell them myself, and then I didn't expect. I just thought I was telling them, and then when Russell was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll be right over," they swooped in. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even i I hadn't imagined that. I thought I was going to tell them, and like I had told my parents uh-huh. and yeah. you know, when my parents said we're coming in, I said, no, 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 don't. But when Russell said, I'm coming over, I said, okay. <laughs> and then as soon as, you know, Jerry knew that Russell was coming, he was coming immediately. And then it was like, well, you can't leave Dorothy out and you got to tell Jessica. So. It's awesome. It's like you had a little army of angels. I did, I did, but I felt terrible because that whole conversation that day was like, you know, you guys, we've been so close for 15 years, but now I'm telling you that everything, you know, that I've had this big lie going on, you know, I think I described it in the book, at least with telling my parents that, you know, it was like the split in our life. What, you know, before they knew I lied Mm -hmm. to them all the time, I was a drug addict and after. Yeah. And you, you talk really well about what I think so many people fear is that I'm changing the dynamic between us. Like you're letting them down. Yes. By saying you're going to have to stop and both your own fear of letting them down and your fear mm-hmm. of just like, what, what does do this I... even look like? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, that was that was the scariest uh, part. Not really going to the detox and not really, um, you know, because I was viewing that as like, hopefully I can feel better physically, which was really the, the thing that was front and center. Yeah. Um, but what is life going to look like? Can I still go to the beach with my friends? Can I still, you know, go out to dinner and do all these things? And, um, you know, it, it, it changed. It definitely changed what it, it had to for me. Yeah. For them, they could, you know, they weren't doing what I was doing. So they were, um, they were okay to keep, you know, keep up their lives. Yeah. Did you, did you try to do all that same stuff? Um, sort of, I, until I got, um, until I got a sponsor, I, I sort of did. And then she just started saying, you know, you're, you're putting yourself at, at unreasonable risk. There's no reason that you can't hang out with your friends, you know, at brunch on Sunday instead of dinner on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Um, and it ended up being true. Did she say that because were you, was it like causing you some suffering to try to do that and be uncomfortable, you know, were you uncomfortable or was it, I think it was more along the lines of, um, just being, you know, sort of the people, places and things. Yeah. She was very, um, adamant about breaking old patterns and in order to set new ones and, you know, going out to dinner and I mean, it was miserable to watch, <laughs> especially at the beginning, you know, early in early recovery, it was like, it was scary. Um, and I didn't, you know, I might've tried it a couple of times, but that was it because it, it didn't feel right to me. Yeah. And plus I, everybody, I was like, um, you know, everybody was very worried about me. <laughs> I remember one of my friends asking me like, can you still listen to the Rolling Stones? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Yeah. I think I can, but let me try, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it definitely had a change. So, but it, so did it, okay. So it had to change at first, but now, I mean, what is it? You're, you're 12 years sober. What is it? Did mm -hmm. it evolve over time? And, and like, what does your social life look like now? Yeah, it definitely evolved, but I think it evolved for everybody because, um, you know, now about, well, about a year and a half into sobriety was when I met my husband. Okay. Who has never seen me drink. Right. Um, you know, which is pretty, uh, remarkable to me. And Can I ask, because so many people have this question. So did you, um, did you approach going into a relationship as like, how were you about your sobriety? Were you like, I'm, uh, I'm sober. I'm not sober. Did you No. Um, I didn't feel like I had to disclose that until I knew that I actually wanted to be sort of with this person in a, in a real way for, a time like I wouldn't tell anybody on a first date you know or even a third date and um the way it happened was that it was it was about our fifth date and I felt like I needed to you know I really uh was into him and I really wanted this to work but of course you know you're also terrified like when I do say this What's, what's he going to do? He's not Because were you us. ashamed of it or are you? Um, less ashamed of it than um, not knowing what his view was of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not knowing what he would think about that. And, you know, I opened the conversation by saying, um, 
you know, I'm sure you've noticed that I don't drink alcohol. And he was like, you don't? <laughs> he hadn't even noticed. He hadn't noticed? No. <laughs> um, and we, you know, we'd been out to lunch and we had been out during the week. And uh, like you had, I'm sorry I'm harping on this so much, but I know yeah. so many women are, um, this is a big deal. You yeah. know, oh, like, it's, it's a huge deal. How you Absolutely. how you broach these conversations, and there's so many different ways to do it, and some people are upfront right away, and um, and I so I'm, I'm that's why I'm digging in. So yeah. had you gone out to like dinners and drinking situations? Did he drink? Uh, yeah, we had gone out to dinner, but you know it was Tuesday night. It's easy right. to say like I'm not drinking tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah. He came out on a Friday night to dinner with me and my friends, and. You know, he'll, he'll have one drink and he's done. Um, and then, uh, you know, my friends drank. I didn't. I just don't think he noticed. We had lunch. We spent a day walking around. Um, yeah, yeah. So they weren't all in this, like, normal situation where you would expect somebody to drink. But, but it also sounds like you. it wasn't interesting. Like, it wasn't his thing either, though, right? No, like it, not yeah. at all. Yeah. That's, right. that's what I saw. So, you know, had the tables been turned or had this been going on with me before I got sober, I'd have been like this. This guy, guy doesn't does drink. drink enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For, yeah. You would have first qualifier. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like you're not ordering another one. What's up with that? Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't think I do. wanted. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, I, his response to me when I finally told him was, um, you know, he thought about it for a minute and then he said, you're going to be a cheap date. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I remember that part in the book. Yeah. You, you, you comment on it in the end. So yeah, did you say, yeah. did you say, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. And did you tell, did you say because X, Y, Z? Yeah. You know, okay. I had a problem and I had to, I had to take care of it. And, you know, he wanted, he wanted to know how long. Um, and it was a year and a half at that point. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so that really meeting him was what changed my social life more than anything. Yeah. You know, the first year of sobriety, I was hanging around with Mark who was, you know, happy just sitting in the apartment, eating pizza and watching movies while my friends were all out at the beach. Yeah. Um, that was hard. That was, uh, you know, and the first year is, is tough. Um, but it was nothing compared to, I mean, I, I was at that point, I was so grateful to, uh, feel physically like a human being that, um, I was willing, you know, I might, I might get a little grumpy about it, but then it was like, you really want to go back? Yeah. (laughs) And the answer was no. Um, I remember I used to go to this, uh, 7.30 AM meeting, uh, 12 step meeting on Sundays and, it was always just like the highlight of my week was like, Oh my God, it's seven 15 and I'm walking to, I mean, like I didn't drink last night. I'm not hungover in the I'm city. Like, right. And in the city. Yeah. yeah. And I'd be like, I can't even, you know, Ugh, I it know was exactly just what you mean. Incredible. Yeah. Well, you talk about how when you would hear the, 
the birds in the morning and the people on the street before. And and I know this feeling so well. I and mean, it feels like your life is happening without you. You hate it. The birds are depressed. It's depressing. It was I depressing. I still like the bird sound. Oh, really? Okay. Um, oh, my God. I love the bird sound now. Um, but you but you also talk about this one part in where your coffee maker sat, you know, it just basically, you know, unused. And then yeah. at the end, you're talking about this, like, this 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 beauty of, of waking in the morning and drinking coffee. And, like, the simplicity mm-hmm. at first for yeah. me was just, like, such a huge, like, I relished in, in waking. I relished yes. in having coffee beans and making coffee and drinking coffee in the morning. It was one of my, I don't know, it's probably part of the reason I'm so addicted to it now but um oh me too totally but it's just but it's so beautiful it's so it's so simple but it is such a big deal to be able to do something so simple to wake up clear-headed and want to make coffee and not be throwing up and not (laughs) you know feel like you uh just drank a pound of sand and yeah it's right anyway yeah that that's one of the things I think that that people um it's hard to describe to other people who haven't sort of gone through it, you know, how, when, when I hear people complaining in the morning and the morning happens to be my most grateful time, I think I get less grateful during the day. Yeah. I just, um, I will never not feel like when I walk in the kitchen and make that coffee, like, wow. Yeah. This is, this is great. This is great. So you met, you met your husband at about a year and a half. And then, and then I think we were talking about, you know, kind of how, your social or how your social life evolves. I mean, you've been, you're 12 years sober now. Yep. So, you know, you've had a, you've had a quite a few years. Um, I don't expect you to sum it all up, but maybe mm-hmm. talk about your social life and sort of your, um, yeah, your friendships and your relationships. And then we want to talk about work. Like I, I sure. really want to dig into that. Um, yeah. Um, my social life, it's funny because uh, the friends who weren't really friends, but who were drinking buddies, fell away really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the friends who are my true friends, who are the ones that you um, read about in the book, were right there. And, um, you know, I think as as things changed, you know, different friends met different people, their relationships changed as well. It wasn't like they stayed in in the place they were at and, and I was the only one who changed. So <laughs> right. I think we've all gone through like a pretty big evolution over the years, but... Um, you know, we still, uh, my, like a typical, I, I work now so much more than I worked before. Really? Yeah. Cause what I found was that, you know, really with my job and I've been asked, like, did my, um, you know, did my legal work suffer and all of that? And the answer was, I don't know, because I switched into doing business development when the worst years had happened. So I wasn't actually practicing, but in fact, that was accommodating my drinking. So it was like, it was, it was like I took a job that I could do while, you know, oh yeah, um, doing what I was doing. So now, you know, I'm doing what I could have potentially been doing if I wasn't drinking and it, it is a lot more intense. Are you practicing? I don't practice, but I'm the deputy executive director of a firm in the city. Wow. So it, you know, so I work a lot. Um, but, uh, there's always, you know, I get to, together for dinner now with the same friends that I used to, um, the friends in the book now going to dinner is no big deal. It took time, but now we do it all the time. We go to concerts, we go to, um, we just went, uh, last Monday night, um, to an event for Hillary Clinton. We go to theater, we do things. Um, and actually 
it looks, um, the social life actually looks better than when I was drinking because, you know, and I think by virtue of how old we are now and, and all that our lives are about, it's not hanging out in bars anymore. And I think we were, we were certainly, you know, I was 38 when I got sober. So we were certainly in that place where, you know, Jessica and Russell had had a baby. Like it was like, we were a little long in the tooth for the bar scene to begin <laughs> with. But, but my getting sober, I think really did have an impact on the whole crew. Like everything shifted quite a bit then because everybody kind of knew each other through some connection of me. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. You're a but they, right. But they were totally connected by them, but it just, it just looked very different. Interesting. So, um, so I just lost my spot. Um, I was, I got, I got harped on the age. I was like doing math and stuff. Um, cause yeah, I, cause a lot I of you, yeah, no, you're, it's, so you're in like this, you know, beautiful, I mean, I got sober when I was 37. So mm-hmm. very similar age. Um, so at, your work because you what I and I think this is all uh true for a lot of people you are most anxious and nervous about letting people at work know yes. about this and I mean you're very open with your family you were very open with your friends um but mm. but work was a whole a whole other thing so how did that how has that evolved over the years well I um I changed firms when I was 10 months sober Okay. And because so, you wanted to No. Um just because this opportunity came up. Okay. Um that I wouldn't have been able to pursue if I had still been drinking. Um because you wouldn't have been able to handle it? No way. Yeah. I don't think I would have been able to make the interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Small things. Yeah, I had to have like four interviews for this with a ton of people and I never would have gotten through it. Um yeah. but so when I when I came back to work I didn't want anybody to know. And part of it was I feared, you know, a lot of the bad stuff that I was doing was in that office. And, you know, who knows? I just, and the other, the other thing too, and, and I'm sure you guys have felt this, um, in early recovery, I was, you know, if I slipped, it would be one thing to my family and friends. If I came out at work and then slipped, it would be a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, especially I, doing what you're doing. Like, did you have anybody that you knew as in recovery at your at your no. work? Yeah. yeah, no. So I just kept my mouth shut there, and then I but showed up, you know, like I had been in the hospital, and then stayed for ten months, and then when I went to my new firm, which is now you know more than eleven years, um, I I didn't say anything there either. I just didn't see a need to, mm-hmm. and then. Over the years, as I became friendly with people and people knew that I was writing and that I was, you know, had my writing workshop on Thursday nights. And, um, you know, as I got to trust and know people after a few years, it certainly wasn't right away. Um, I would sort of clue, you know, I would fill some people selectively, selectively. Right. Yeah. Um, And it was easier then because the only reference they had to me was sober. I'd yeah. never been drinking when I was at that firm. And, um, you know, they knew me for a real period of time like that. So it, I didn't feel that risk. Like, you know, I might drink tomorrow and then I'm going to feel like, what do I say? You know, how yeah. does it look to these people? Did you feel like it hurt you to not drink 
um, like in, in, you know, culturally or socially yeah. at your, yeah. Um, not at this firm. This firm is, uh, a very, um, there, there's not, I mean, there's definitely drinking events and all of that, but it's not as, uh, heavy handed as at the giant firms, like where yeah. I was practicing. Okay. And so um, is it like a smaller one or something? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's smaller than I was at, at one of the giant firms and, and now, you know, we're one office in New York. Were you worried about that when you took this job? No. You know what, too? Part of it is that I wasn't, I feel like it's in the lawyer ranks a lot more in the practicing lawyer ranks that the heavy drinking and partying goes on, the client events, the associate events. I was in on the admin side. So like operations. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Like I was doing business development and, you know, recruiting kind of things and strategy things and working with, um, the executive director and the, the chairs of the firm. And that's a different picture than if you're a third year associate and everybody's going out for happy hour. Did you consciously make a choice about this? I mean, you said it was like a big job and one that you wanted. Did you consciously think about that aspect of it, that it wasn't going to be, wasn't, you know, did you consciously steer yourself away from? Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I think I knew that it, uh, yes, I was much more comfortable with the concept of I'm not going into a job where, you know, the culture of what I do or the client entertainment or any of that involves drinking. Yeah. I asked because I think sometimes we make those choices consciously and sometimes we don't. We're just drawn to opportunities that are, you know, better fit our, our lives. So, yeah. And you were yeah. pretty early on. I mean, 10 months is a really short time. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of talk with my sponsor about that before <laughs> I did it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, it, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. So, I, um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. And, and pretty early on. And then, so you've slowly started to come out to people, uh, you mm-hmm. know, over the years professionally and, and now what is your experience with being a sober person, you know, a sober professional, successful woman and how people relate to you, uh, you know, on that level? It's, um, you know, it's funny because I didn't, I can't fully tell, you know, cause I see I've gotten incredible support. Um, I mean, the firm is just really, I, I'm lucky to be in, in a really great place. And I don't know if you guys saw, but the New York law journal did a Q and a, uh, profile with me. No, I didn't see that one. Yeah. And so when that hit the press, it was like the whole New York legal community. Um, which means my old firms, which meant like everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, so a a lot of people knew at that point that, you know, at least the part at the partner level that, uh, you know, that I was in recovery and that I had this book coming out and all of that. But, um, the, the two co-chairs of the firm who I work with very closely, uh, circulated the article, to the entire firm, like everyone from the mailroom to the most senior partner, they sent a message saying, you know, how, that people might have seen this. If they haven't, you know, here it is about the book coming out, how proud they were of me mm-hmm. uh, and my achievement and how I'm helping other people and just like an unbelievable email to the entire firm about That's it, amazing. demonstrating their support. How good did that feel? 
it was it was great. It was great. But then, you know, then I go down the hall to go to the ladies' room, and I'm like, she knows, he knows. I know. <laughs> I know. But that's such a big part of this, right? And I think, like, one of the yeah. things that that I want to get into is just talking about what we have to do to be able to change this type of culture, right? Where we kind of are writing it out until we can't hang on anymore, but rather allowing people to come forward and find help and Mm -hmm. also to be able to do it in the support of a community. You know, when we talk about something like cancer or diabetes, not even diabetes, but cancer or some other um, acute illness or anything that, that puts somebody out and requires a recovery, you know, people generally get to do this in the public eye with the support of all you know family friends and and workplace community society but this is this is a you know this is seen as something we do to ourselves and that we're meant to recover you know and we're meant to do it privately by ourselves not talk about it not yes. talk about it right um, right and, you know, for me, this is a big deal because I started, as I was going through it, I thought I was the only person in the world, right? We think we're the only ones yeah. that yeah. are going through mm-hmm. this. And then you start to kind of look around and say, this can't, I can't be the only one. I cannot be the only one that's mm-hmm. actually going through this. Right, And right. so I started talking about it um, not far, like maybe four months sober. I was at a networking event in New York and I said something and I, I sent you that, that piece this morning. I, I spoke up yeah, to it, and a woman great. at the table raised her hand, and she'd been sober for two years, and she was like, I was, you know, terrified that we're going to serve alcohol at this event. Because, you know, and so I'm, I'm wondering what mm. you think we need to do to change this, to be able to, first of all, help people, you know, help people get better um, without fearing the consequences of losing their credibility or their jobs. Um, mm-hmm. And also to to come forward, like, what do we need to do to change to actually support people that are struggling with addiction, um, specifically in the workplace? Yeah, I, I, I think there are, at least in the legal profession, and I'm guessing it's very similar in others, um, there's sort of this, uh, it's such an intensely personal decision to get sober and, uh, you know, who you tell and how you do it. It, it has to be a safe place without the first thing I think somebody worrying about is how my work colleagues are going to react. So at least in, in law firms, instead of thinking that the culture is going to somehow change or we can make it easy for people to sort of wave their hands and say, me too, um, I really feel like the first step in law firms is confidential help and people knowing, people being educated that there are lawyers' assistance committees of every bar association that are completely confidential, that are other lawyers helping other lawyers on a confidential basis. Is it lawyers' concern for lawyers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's also just about every employer, I think, has an employee assistance program, which is a place you can call that hooks you up with totally confidential. The firm does not know you've made this phone call. Um, and hook you up with the right, um, uh, a therapist to help with whatever you're dealing with. So it's not only for substance abuse issues, but it's for people struggling maybe with it, you know, a sick aging parent at home or a grief issue or just a general anxiety issue, but just someplace where they know that they can go when, you know, Hey, I feel like I'm having like one more or two more glasses of wine at night than I used to have to make the stress go away. Um, none of those tools have been really introduced traditionally when lawyers join the firm. It's like you learn how to, you know, work with your assistant and you learn how to do, um, you know, a copy job after hours, but you don't learn like where to go when you're feeling overwhelmed. And to be able, so to me, I mean, that's a big thing that I'm trying to advocate for in law firms and, um, you know, making sort of part, most law firms have 
uh, extensive uh, maybe five days of orientation for associates on all kinds of things, ethical obligations and, and how the business of a law firm works and all of that. And I think that's a, a component that we have to put in there is what do, what do I do, you know, if I find myself struggling? Yeah. And, and then I think the second sort of part of it is there have to be examples like the two of you, like me being mm-hmm. able to say, look, you can do this. Uh, to me, I thought, I've, you know, I've seen people go out on medical leave. I've seen people certainly go have children and be gone for months at a time. Right? Yeah. I've never seen someone go to rehab. That. Right. Yeah. And that was something that was so interesting because I had the same thought as you. You could only take a week off. Right. Like I there was no way I I couldn't. I couldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could have, but I would have had to go on like a disability thing and and explain I'm going to be out for a month and I'm going to be away and I'm not going to be in touch. I I, I just it did. Well, technically, it could have been an option for me. It didn't didn't feel like an option. Right. Right. It doesn't feel real. Like it's actually going to be okay. Right. I couldn't pretend I had a stomach flu for actually you will be supported. Yeah. And and if, if there are people where it's like, I mean, you know, with, with the thing in the New York law journal and all people have come out from different places of my past and Mm -hmm. reached out to me already. Right. Um, like, Hey, I'm sober too. People that I worked with, I had no idea that we're not connected in the workplace because everybody keeps their hands down. Yeah. But if we can make it okay in terms of, you know, oh, you know, sort of for a young, a young attorney to say, I feel like I have a drinking problem and I don't know how in the world to fix it. But if they can say, well, I know Lisa down the hall had one, you know, and she said I could talk to her confidentially or I, I know Lisa down the hall had one, maybe I'll call the EAP. But, you know, you got you have to see examples in action. That only happens Totally, that look like you. And yeah, yeah, there was nobody that looked like me or you or anybody else. Right. You know, that we would say, okay, this tells me it can be okay. Right. Yeah. Well, my mom had cancer at the same time that I was going through recovery, and it was just such a it was such a it was such a clear juxtaposition. I got to actually see what that looked like versus what my story looked like, which is you know she had people she knew everyone she knew everyone that had mm. breast cancer. Um, you know, people yeah. like uh, she started. You know, she immediately joined circles. Her friends that had had it came by to tell her like their stories and to give her things, and it was just such a different experience. We don't yeah. have that because we don't. First of all, because we don't. People are deeply uncomfortable talking about it. You know, like just like yeah. nobody asked me. I told like in my experience, my first my first year, people just didn't you know say like, hey, are you healing? You know, like right, right. how's that recovery going? You know, right. but every other question that they asked me was how my my mom's cancer was you know and mm-hmm. there's just this like aversion to it but also we just don't know who each other are because it's so it's so right. swept but that also has a lot to do with it being and I mean you you went through and you I, I don't know if you're still if you still um work the program but mm-hmm. but how do, do you how do you how do you do this? Like, that's my question to both of you, which is, are you breaking from the traditions by doing what you're doing? You, Laura, and also you, Lisa. Like, is this, like, yeah. what, what is this, how does this actually align with, with the program and the, the anonymity factor? Yeah, I would love to hear what you say about oh. that, Lisa. Well, I talked to um, a lot of people in program and, and writers I knew in program about that and you know, sort of the way I dealt with it or the way I dealt with it in the book was, you know, not to talk about AA, but to talk about 12-step program, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, I guess it's a very, you know, I mean, (laughs) it is what it is, but um, for whatever reason, um, 
it, it, people felt like that was an important distinction to make and, um, have not, uh, have said that, you know, they thought the way that I was dealing with it was, um, was okay. I mean, I, you know, now I think the, the anonymity thing is under a lot of pressure because people are finding each other in social media and on websites, you know, there's so many websites now that talk about, you know, AA. I mean, I've written articles for, um, after party, you know, like saying, no, I didn't join a cult when I joined AA. Um, and so that forum is very, you know, uh, clear, but I, I was a little more circumspect in writing the book. So I don't know. No one has actually complained to me. Oh, really? I was going to say, as anyone brought it up, in fact, in fact, I've had people say that I dealt with it in a way that, uh, that worked for them, that they thought was, you know, respectful of it. And I don't talk about what happens in a given meeting. I mean, I talk about what happened in group, but that was not, uh, that was rehab. That was not. Um, well, and you never, yeah, you never give away anyone else's anonymity. No, 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 no. Um, so I, I try to be really careful about that. And I don't talk a lot in the book about 12-step program. Yeah, you no. don't. And Laura, do you want to answer that too? Because I've never asked you that. How do you, how do you, like, when you go to meetings and you stand up and you speak and people know you also from this, like, yeah. um, do you ever have to defend or explain why you're not anonymous? Uh, no, I've, I've never had, I've only had a couple people say something to me and it was more just curiosity of uh, sort of asking me the same thing you're asking me now is, are you concerned about that or how do you feel about it? I'm sure there are conversations that I don't know about being had. I'm sure there are, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was a decision to, um, and it's an ongoing, you know, relationship and conversation that I have with my, my own recovery but it was a decision to, I, I personally think the anonymity served a, a deep purpose when it was created in, you know, some, you know, in the thirties. I, I do. I think it's a little bit of an outdated, um, thing right now. And it's not up to, I'm certainly not changed saying AA should change their stuff. I'm not saying it's, it should, you know, it has to change. I'm not saying that it's, I'm taking it on my own responsibility to do that, but I did make a decision just like we do with every decision to say, this is the, the, the cost and this is the benefit Mm -hmm. of talking about this. And for me, the, the benefit of talking about it both selfishly for myself and for a lot of other people was so much greater that I made a personal decision to do it. And I had to decide I was okay too, with people not thinking that that was all right. Yes. Yes. I totally agree with everything you just said. Yeah. And I just, I, I looked around when I got sober, was trying to get sober. It took me, it took me, um, over a year and a half, you know, once I, after my first meeting and I said, where fuck is everybody? Yeah. (laughs) Why aren't we talking about this? You know, similar to what Holly said. And it was so, I got really angry about that. Um, and it felt like, it felt like a big injustice to, mm-hmm. to not have it be talked about yeah. outside of an anonymous meeting in a basement. Yeah. I love the, I love the 12 step program. I do it. I, I love it. I think it's a beautiful thing, but I, I, um, you know, things have to evolve and, you know, it, yes, it, you know, a is a beautiful program. It saves a lot of people's lives, but a lot of people are dying too. Yes. Um, so it's not, it's not 
Well, there's this interesting thing that you have to, we have to be able to bridge, which is society still largely stigmatizes this. People's jobs and professional reputations and personal reputations are still on the line. We still live in a society that has a lot of judgments about this. It still believes it's a choice. It still believes a lot of different things about alcoholism or addiction. And then, you know, so we need to provide people a way to be able to safely navigate this uh, Mm -hmm. without losing everything. And at the same time, we also have to promote a way for it to not be that way in society. And so it requires exactly what Lisa, what you're doing, which is, is, is circulate, like writing something that gets circulated in your law firm about your recovery. Um, and, um, but it is, it's a very, like, it's a shift and we have to be able to break down this paradigm and this stigmatization and still offer refuge to people to be able to find help without losing, you know, without risking. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, almost refuse that, that, that system that keeps us stigmatized. Yeah. And, and, and still maintain absolutely to all that and still maintaining that it is a personal choice. Like not everybody has to talk about it. Agreed. Um, you know, Agreed. they can have the way that they want, but Agreed. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I believe yeah. that more than anything. Oh, yeah. I, I think some people wouldn't get sober if they had to talk about it with people. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> no. So it is, it's such a personal thing. It has to be a safe space for both people. For both kinds of people, I think. But it's also like this, like if somebody's suffering, going back to the cancer thing, if somebody's, I mean, there are people that suffer cancer privately and don't talk about it, right? But at the same time, we don't have this, you know, but they wouldn't possibly lose their jobs if they did talk about (laughs) it. If they were found out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Or if they relapsed with cancer or, you know, (laughs) anyways. Yeah. No, you're right. Oh, this is great. Um, Hal, do you have, do you have other questions? Well, I wanted, I did want to talk. So just to be clear, cause it's not really discussed at length in the book. So you, I mean, what was, was it hard to get sober? Like, was it like, <laughs> was, <laughs> um, was it, you do, do you, you recommend people go to medical detox? Like what, like what, what was your, what was it like for you? How long of like, what did it look like? How did it unfold? Did you drink again? Like you just never drank again after that detox. I have not. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that though, because I think that that's a story that people need to hear too, is that you don't have to again. There's actually a like one and a half page epilogue to the book that I will email you guys because oh. from the arcs, um, some of the feedback was like, we need to know what, what happened. happened? Uh, yeah. So in the final, actually, I'll just send you guys each the final. Um, and, uh, Yeah, I put an epilogue in there that, you know, a lot has happened, but, uh, you know, fortunately, I so far have not, um, have not picked up a drink, but it was, it was hard, but, uh, and it, you know, it's funny because some days it felt almost impossible and some days it felt like, you know, the only thing I I would ever want to do. The relief that I felt from just not feeling so sick all the time. I can't, in my case, at least, um, under I can't, I can't, you know, say enough how much the physical impact of feeling like I had some of my health back again after 10 years of daily drinking. And then that last year to year and a half of all the, all the drugs, um, you know, I woke up every morning just astounded that, it was possible that I hadn't drank the day before. I know, right? 
It was, it was <laughs> like, it was like, it was groundhog day. Like I would pick up the, the glass on my nightstand and drink it and it would be water. And I would be like, Oh my God, yeah. you know, for like a year, <laughs> it never failed to amaze me. And so just that made it a whole lot easier. And also, you know what? I cut all of my crazy sort of control things. I let my, I gave myself a lot of space. Like I've always been, you know, and it's tied in with, with all this other stuff is, you know, crazy, a little bit crazy with food. And I stopped restricting myself. I said, if I'm not drinking, I'm eating whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I smoked, I didn't stop smoking. I was like, I'm smoking whatever. I mean, I quit not long after, but, um, you know, I was not going to deprive myself of a single other thing that I wanted. All I had to do was not drink. That was the only thing I had to do that day. Um, and, and that was sort of how, how I managed to get through it. I just didn't, and I knew, and I still know, um, it was not hard for me to admit that I, uh, was an alcoholic and to acknowledge that I knew it. I'd known it for 10 years, yeah. but, um, but, uh, you know, I never have had the illusion, you know, I love when people are like, don't you miss like a glass of wine at dinner? Like no. who had, who had a glass of wine at dinner? Like <laughs> I never did that. I'd have been like, why waste 150 calories? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I remember that, you know, there is no, oh, I can go have a glass of wine now because people, and they probably say this to you too. They're like, oh, you, you, you know, you got sober, but, um, but can you drink now or you're all yeah. better now, whatever, yeah. you know, that this thing that we live with, that it's a daily, um, you know, we get like a daily, a daily break from it. If we do the things we need to do to stay sober, I've no doubt that if I were to pick up a glass of wine, it might not happen the first time. But, um, you know, within, within two weeks, I'd be headed straight back where yep. I was going. And I would immediately be mentally obsessing well, about the next glass of wine. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's the not mental obsession. The, the, yeah, it's, it yeah. just sounds exhausting. I don't yeah. ever want to think about it again. I know. Right, well, there is right. that. But people think there is this idea that, re, that, that there's, there, like, there's a, it's even written, I think, in the big book that says um, maybe one day science will find a way to, you know, <laughs> let us drink like normal drinkers. Um, yeah. But there is, but it's just, but absolutely not. I mean, like, the to me, recovery is, is not having to drink again. Again. It's not, That's you know, right. like yes. being f- yes. free of that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, absolutely. So, okay, so we'll read the epilogue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Okay. And then one, one last thing. One last thing. What do you? So, what are the other things though that you do, like for your recovery? You go to twelve step meetings, or you you go to AA meetings. You work the steps. What what else mm-hmm. have you done to support your recovery? Um, I do. I stay really closely connected to. Um, my sponsor, my sponsees, and I still, I take a meeting once a month to a, um, inpatient hospital detox and rehab. Mm. And I feel like, um, it's, it's amazing. It's like the best thing. And I, it's so important for me to like hear those doors shut behind me, those locked unit doors shut behind me because it just reminds me every month, you know, Yes, that, that, that's where you are. That is exactly where you are. Yeah, and um, you know, I think my writing has been a huge thing for me um, in processing everything. I mean, that's how it all started. Like, I didn't set out to write a book. Um, everybody was so baffled when I got out of the detox about like what happened, like what was going on, and, and plus the story in the detox was so crazy. I didn't want to forget it. That um, all of a sudden I be up at five in the morning and, you know, not drinking, not, you know, blowing lines and smoking cigarettes. So 
I started writing down what happened and, and as a way to explain it to myself and to my friends and my family. And then it just kind of grew. And then I started going to some workshops. You know, I really started writing immediately upon coming out of the detox, which I think is why I have, you know, a, such a clear description of what it was in there because I had just gotten out. Yeah, it was fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, writing is a lot. I try to exercise. I don't do it enough. That's a good example of another thing that I do that keeps me sober is I'm just not that hard on myself anymore. Yeah. You know, if I miss the gym, I miss the gym. If I, you know, eat something out of line, I eat something out of line. Like I, I really try to give myself a break on stuff. I, yeah. I still it's try to so keep big. that thing. Yeah. That the only thing I have to do perfectly today is not track. I yeah. love that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Um, oh, you guys are great. Uh, <laughs> no, I love, I mean, I really, I love, your story is great. Um, I love, I, when I read it, I mean, it's just, I, it took me back so much to that place of just looking, <laughs> like looking at, like not looking at myself in the mirror in the morning, you know, and pulling it together and like running from that, like that hole to go out into the world and like, it just, oh my God, it's, it's such a, and it's, I, I think it's such a, um, a common story for, for so many and, um, it's just, it's a beautiful story and I'm so, I'm so happy that you're putting this out into the world and again, just kind of, um, providing that, that, um, voice. Well, yeah. it's not even the Thank voice. So it's much. like, a fla- it's a flare, right? Like flare. you're sending yeah, up yeah, a yeah. signal and you're like saying it's like, here's another, you know, and it's just, it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would love to continue to work with you guys on anything. Absolutely. I feel like Absolutely. we have this whole thing in common yes. in, in the corporate world that, yes. you know, I, we know it's out there. Yeah, that is that is something I yeah, I would be interested to talk to you a little bit more just to understand what um what you might be thinking about. But I, I agree, I do, because that was the first that was the first thing that hit me was just like especially when it comes to single women and like I just felt like there was like I had almost been led up to this point just with the drinking culture and the profession I was in just with the amount Mm -hmm. of work with the isolation with um it just it felt like a perfect storm and I know that there's so many others out there um so I would would love to brainstorm with you on that that would be great me too well thank you guys so much yeah thank thank you. you have a um this will go up this week and um can't next, wait well tomorrow no t- it'll go out next anytime really well, whatever it's tuesday. sunday whatever today. works for you guys. oh you're right it is this week it'll go out to it'll go out wednesday it'll go out wednesday so that's awesome and your Thank book you. comes out oh my god yeah I where's know, your book so available weird. um well it's it's uh i don't know if it's what stores it might be in but it's definitely online at amazon at barnes and noble at indie um yeah at indies first all that
Please. 